Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson, and it's a blessing and joy to be with you and sharing God's Word with you today. Here at our congregation, we believe that every single time we open up the Word of God, that something miraculous takes place. That this is not like any ordinary book we'd find on our shelves, but that this one is unique. It's God's Word. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible, true from cover to cover. And because of those convictions, we come with an expectancy today. An expectancy that as we are in God's Word and studying His truth, that He is going to come and do a work in our lives. That His Holy Spirit is going to come and convict us of sin, point us to our Savior Jesus, and then teach us what it means to follow after Him. It's our prayer is that as you come and hear God's word, that these things would be happening in your heart and life today. That God's word would come and fall upon soil that's ready in your heart and life to receive the seed of God's word and that would bear fruit in your heart and life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow before you now and we just ask the Lord that you would use your word here as it is proclaimed and taught and examined. I pray that as you promised to do, that every single time your word goes out, that something uh, takes place powerfully in the lives of those who hear it. I pray that for those who are listening today on the radio. Lord, we commit this to, to you and, and to their commendation for their spiritual well-being. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to stop and think back for a moment to the last big announcement that you heard. The last big announcement, the last big news flash that you had come across your screen or through scrolling through your phone or that someone told you. Uh, maybe it was an announcement about someone either winning or losing an election. Maybe it was an announcement that you were going to have a new addition to the family. Maybe it was an announcement that you were getting a pay raise or that someone's going to be accepting the offer on the house. Uh, maybe an announcement that someone in your family has cancer or that you're going to need surgery. There are a number of these kind of big and heavy weighty announcements, both positive and negative, that we could list. That list kind of goes on and on. We experience those things in life, though. Big and altering life announcements, uh, not on a regular basis, but each of us in our lifetime have a few of those moments that we could point to and say, that was big-time news. Well, what do those big announcements do when we hear them? They always have an effect, don't they? Uh, they either bring an intense sorrow or great joy and elation. Sometimes they shock us and they leave us speechless. Uh, I remember for Emily and I, when we were expecting our, our first child, Josiah, uh, this was going to be the first of all the grandkids. And Emily and I had been married for a few years and we uh, found out that we were expecting and we went to go tell my folks. And we decided to uh, wear... Um, a, a Father's Day shirt and a Mother's Day shirt uh, and just sit in the room with my parents and see if they could notice if there was anything going on. And we're having a conversation with them and all of a sudden, both of them just kind of look at each other like, wait a second, are we having a grandbaby? And they just so much, you know, they were speechless for just a moment, you know, shocked and, and then also joy-filled and elated all kind of together. Today, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, 
as we've been doing over the last weeks here, we're going through a series through the, through the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus makes a pretty big announcement. He's at his hometown of Nazareth, a place where he had grown up and where he knew people. And one of the days, he is in the synagogue, as was his custom. We hear about this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. He, he comes to Nazareth, where he had been as a kid, and as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue. He's been going there his whole life. He goes there on the Sabbath day, and he stands up to read. And uh, we, we just have to kind of remember, as we get into what he's about to announce, that this is where his mom was from. Right? This is where his dad, Joseph, was from. And, and this is a small hamlet of a town, Nazareth. It's not big. So people know people. You know, you know everyone. And, and Mary and Joseph have a family line here that probably had been going back for some time. And so Jesus in the synagogue, as always, gets up to read. And, and this is what the announcement he shares is. Verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And just like that, you could just see the bombshell announcement drop. This is a drop the mic type of moment. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. And this is a text that talks all about what the Messiah is going to do. It's foreshadowing the work of the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who's going to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, open the prison to those who are bound, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of these things are, are what Isaiah is writing about here and, and foretelling about the work of the Messiah. And Jesus stands up and he reads these things and he says... It's here. You're looking at it. These things are being fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is telling people, I'm the Messiah. He's not trying to hide anything. He just very openly says, I'm the anointed one. That one that Isaiah was writing about, of all those things happening, yep, that's, that's happening in your day. It's happening right here in front of you. This is the work that the Messiah would come and bring. And what Jesus is articulating, as you think about all those things mentioned in Isaiah 61 there, Jesus is saying that he is the one who had come to proclaim good news, to give grace, to rescue those who are lost and perishing. In each of those instances of the different groups of people there that are mentioned, all of them are in a situation of hopelessness. All of them are lost. All of them have been beaten down. All of them don't have a, a positive picture to look forward to. All of them are at the end of themselves. But the work of the Messiah comes to take those who are broken and at the end of their, their ropes and to bring them good news. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And that's kind of the climactic point in all of this, right? You have all these people who are down and out, the outcasts, the estranged, those who are uh, broken and poor and needy. And the year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed to them. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, well, I don't even know. What is that talking about, Pastor? I think I've heard that expression before. But what is the reference there? Well, the year of the Lord's favor that's being proclaimed, it's a, it's a reference back to the Old Testament to the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years where God's people were told to proclaim good news, that debts were released and slaves were set free. It was a year of resetting things. If you owed anyone anything, the debts were all canceled in the year of Jubilee. It was kind of like a great reset of sorts. And we hear about that in Leviticus 25, verse 10. It says, you, will, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. This was known as the year of the Lord's favor. The year of blessedness and grace and peace and release, and binding up the broken, and bringing healing to those who are oppressed. And as Isaiah is describing the work of the Messiah, and what the Messiah is going to do, this picture is a messianic picture of the Messiah. The, the Messiah is going to come and bring a jubilee. The Messiah is going to come to release people from bondage, to cancel debts, to reset the relationship that had been fractured between God and man. And th this is actualized in, in Jesus. When we think about what Jesus came to do, this is, this is it. He, he came to proclaim peace and restoration between God and between man. To set sinners free from the bonds of captivity to sin. And to bring us back into a reset relationship with God that had been brought down because of the Garden of Eden and reverse the curse. And you can just about imagine how this announcement went down. I mean, Jesus is standing up in the synagogue. He's reading this. He's proclaiming, yep, I'm the one who's bringing this about. And for those hearing it, it's kind of like catch-22 moments, right? On the one hand, we hear in verse 22 that Everybody speak, speaks well of him, and they marvel at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. I mean, we hear throughout the Gospels that Jesus spoke with authority, and that as people listened to him, they were hanging on every word. On the one hand, you know, they're looking forward to this. This is um, the Messiah, the promised redemption, deliverance that we've been longing for. And as they're listening to Jesus, this sounds pretty great, right? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear a message about being restored and redeemed and forgiven. But we see also in verse 22 that so quickly as they are looking to the graciousness of his words, on the other hand, they immediately follow it up with, isn't this Joseph's son? It isn't? Wait a second. We know this guy. He's been around us. We, we know his, his mom and dad's family lines. Is this really the Messiah? And... While, while they were focused on the good news for about a split second, we see that they were really caught up on what their reason and outward understanding was. Uh, although it sounded nice for, for Jesus to be the one to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the doubts of their hearts 
caused them to, to question if this really was the Messiah. Uh, they, they didn't love, love this announcement. They're like, we, we know you. You're a carpenter's son. Who are you to come and bring about this? You're not the Messiah. We see in verse 23 then that Jesus responds to them and says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And we have heard what you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus' response here may leave some of you uh, wondering what's really being communicated here. Why is Jesus all of a sudden talking about this, this widow and Zarephath and why Naaman the Syrian? And how does that have to do with those who are in Nazareth? I mean, those are far away cities. So I was talking about some areas that are very far removed. Jesus' point here to those in Nazareth is that those who are closest to the message often have a hard time receiving it. Those who are closest to the message often have a hard time receiving it. There's a familiarity there, right? There's a familiarity to them. They maybe have heard it many, many times, or um, it becomes very commonplace, or they think they know something and they don't. And so he gives two examples of this kind of uh, happening and the ministry of God going outside of that then. We see the example of the ministry of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of Israel, but we see that during this season, the three and a half years where there was judgment upon the land, that Elijah goes and he is ministering to the widow of Zarephath. And I don't know, newsflash, Zarephath is outside of Israel. This is Gentile area, right? And But yet, what, what we see is that she, even though outside of the people of Israel, had a heart of faith, ready, ready to receive the work of God. But that those inside Israel, there were a lot of other widows in the land, but the people of Israel, those closest to it, were not able to receive and hear the message of God. Same thing with Naaman the Syrian. We hear about the ministry of the prophet Elisha. And many lepers were in Israel at the time, but who was the one cleansed? Naaman the Syrian, the foreigner, the outsider, the one who was furthest away from the message of God or the, the, the prophet. And what we see in these two examples, and Jesus' point here in his response to those at Nazareth, is that those who were closest missed it. Those who were closest missed it. And those who were furthest away received it. They received the kingdom of God. They received the work of God by faith. But those that were close to it, who had a familiarity with it, who seemed like it was common to them, so to speak, they ended up missing the working of God in their midst. And friends, before we go wagging our fingers at those who were in Nazareth, who heard for themselves Jesus proclaimed there that he was the Messiah, 
I mean, picture this. They're the first ones who hear Jesus very directly say, I am the Messiah. This has been fulfilled in your midst. Jesus was literally there with them. Can't get much more clear than that. But before we go wagging our fingers at them who were in Nazareth, who had heard this, I want us to make sure that we also look in the mirror. Because it's often easy for us who are close to the things of God to miss it. It is often easy for us who are familiar and are around the things of God to think that we know it and understand it, and oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we miss it. And, and this is a common theme in the Gospels. You re, you'll see this throughout the Gospel of Luke as we go through it, uh, culminating in the religious elite, right? Those who were literally priests, those who were the closest to God. Jesus says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're not close to God. You, you maybe have a good show and make it seem like you're following God, but you're not. Don't, don't kid yourself. Don't pretend. Your, your hearts are far from God. They're like, they're like disgusting graves where outside maybe you have a nice headstone, but inside it's a rotting corpse. That's how Jesus describes those who apparently were close to God. But on the flip side, we see those who are on the fringe, on the outside, the lowly, the outcast, even those who are overlooked by society, the little children. And Jesus says, unless you have faith like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. God's working is looking for faith. It's looking for people who are going to receive the message. People who are not casually complacent or too near to it. Oh God, would you give us hearts for that? Would you give us hearts that you would wake us up and, and bring us close to you? Not just close in proximity, but close, Lord, to you and wanting to know you, drawing our hearts close to you. We see that in the people of Nazareth, they were close, as close as could be to the Messiah, but they were missing who he was. Friends, how about you? Are you close to the things of God, maybe physically, tangentially, but not spiritually? Are you, are you close in your proximity to the things of the Lord, but really don't know Him? Recognize Him as the anointed one of God, the Savior for your soul, the one who has come to redeem you? Well, the people perceive what Jesus is doing here, and that the story is about them. And like you can imagine, they're not super happy about that. And instead of repenting and turning and saying, Oh, Jesus, forgive me for my complacency and my apathy, we instead see that they get angry. They get upset. They don't want to be told that they did something wrong or that maybe they were apathetic or complacent, and so they get angry at Jesus. And in verse 28, it says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. We find here that when faced with Jesus, not everyone liked it. And I, I always find that so strange. Here you have someone, the Messiah, who's promising freedom and grace. And, and it's one thing to doubt it or dismiss it, 
But it's another thing to hate it and want to kill it. We don't care who you are, Jesus, but you certainly aren't going to put us in our place. You certainly aren't going to be our Messiah. We're going to extinguish you. That hits a lot close to home in our culture today, friends. We have a culture that wants to cancel people, wants to silence them, to extinguish them. And we see that that was true for those in Nazareth. They were thinking, yeah, this doesn't fit with our perception. It doesn't fit into our little Messiah box. You're not what we want. You're not what we were expecting. And I just love verse 30. Here you have the people, <laughs> they drive him out of the town. They bring him to the top of a great cliff. They're going to throw him down. They're going to kill him. And in verse 30, here you have Jesus. It says, verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. And that's how the dialogue ends. That's how the story about Nazareth ends. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. Like you're going to be able to kill him? He is in control of the situation. And he is sovereign. And I would have loved to be a fly on the wall and to see how this played out or was enacted. You have this whole mob that's bringing him up to kill him, and then Jesus just passes through their midst, and he goes his way. And that's how his time in Nazareth ends. And he goes on to preach elsewhere. And I want you to ask yourself today, as you've heard this word, what are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with the news about this Messiah. How are you going to receive the Messiah? Are you going to believe that he comes to do what he promised? Are you going to look for that in your life? Friends, do you see yourself as someone who is in need of good news to be proclaimed? Who is broken and need to be mended? Someone who is captive who needs to be set free? Do you see the Messiah who comes to proclaim to you the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus has come to do. He comes that we may have life and life abundantly. He comes to bring joy and hope and renewal in us, friends. That is the work of Jesus. And I'm afraid that too many in the church have gotten too close and too comfortable in proximity to the things of God and not to Jesus. We uh, need to be well-remembered, friends, that being here in this room, being in a church, being close to spiritual things does not make someone close to God. God looks at the heart. He wants hearts of faith, those who are going to trust Him, those who are going to follow Him, those who are looking for His redemption. And friends, my prayer is that that's for you. My prayer is that, that you wouldn't do away with that in your life. Maybe you would think to yourself, I would never do that, Pastor. But in your life and action, sometimes you do. You've made other, other gods. You've worshipped false things. And you deceive yourself. And Jesus would call to you graciously to come back to him, to repent, to turn from your ways, to acknowledge him as the Messiah who has come to save your soul. May God have mercy on us for this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for being my Savior, my Lord, 
the Messiah who has come to save me. And not just me, but my friends here today. Lord, would you remind them of these truths? Would you do a work in their heart and life? Pray, Lord, that you would not be too casual or commonplace for them, but that they would turn to you in faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you've heard, please consider donating to the Ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.